This is Joanne Tan, founder, CEO, and brand strategist of 10 Plus Brand, a multiple award-winning brand building and brand marketing full service agency. I'm also the producer and host of the podcast, Interviews of Notables and Influencers on 10 Plus Podcast. I am extremely honored to have Dr. Steve Kerr today, a global authority, thought leader, and author on the use and misuse of organizational rewards. For five decades, Dr. Kerr's paper on the folly of rewarding A while hoping for B has been one of the most cited and reprinted in the management sciences. Uh, Dr. Kerr was a senior advisor to Goldman Sachs and is chief learning officer for six years, where he created Pine Street, the firm's distinctive leadership development organization. Prior to that, Dr. Kerr worked with General Electric's legendary CEO, Jack Welch, as GE's VP of Corporate Leadership Development and Chief Learning Officer for seven years. He led and expanded the renowned Leadership Education Center at Crotonville with Mr. Welch and was the head of the famous GE Workout. After leaving Goldman Sachs, he again worked with Mr. Welch, serving as co-founder and the first executive director of the Jack Welch Management Institute. During the last eight years of Mr. Welch's tenure in GE, when the company was labeled by a number of media outlets as the world's best-run company, a number of systems and programs initiated in GE was subsequently adopted by numerous private and public sector organizations around the world. Several of the tools Dr. Kerr devised in GE to operationalize these initiatives were identified in his book, Reward Systems. Dr. Kerr was also a faculty member at several universities, such as University of Michigan, and was the Dean of Faculty at USC Business School for 10 years. He was national president of the Academy of Management, the largest US academic organization. Currently, even in his retirement, Dr. Kerr has been a consultant to many of the world's largest corporations, as well as a senior advisor to the US Department of Homeland Security. His many board memberships include the board of directors of Harvard Business School Publishing. Thank you, Dr. Kerr, for this great privilege and welcome. Thank you, happy to be here. Uh, there are some timeless gems of wisdom in your paper and book that I summarize as, for the workforce to perform and deliver organizational goals, leaders need to define, measure, and reward performance. So those three elements, define, measure, and reward performance. Since it's not enough to solely rely on A, selecting only those individuals whose goals and motives are wholly consonant with those of management and or B, training. Because selecting so-called the right people and training are not enough. There needs to be an effective reward system that rewards the right behaviors, performance, and results for the right goals in the right way and must be measured correctly. 
which in turn are dependent on clear, shared, agreed upon, overarching goals. You also distinguish between rewarding performance and results, which to me is causal or sequential. We need to first be very clear about what desired results are and what performance will lead to the desired result before devising appropriate rewards to avoid the folly of rewarding A while hoping for B. The listeners among the growing audience of 10 plus brand encompasses leaders of mid-market tech entrepreneurs, B2B service firms of attorneys, bankers, CPAs, consultants, executive coaches, board members of large public organizations and private companies, B2B small business owners, some of whom were previously executives at large corporations. So question number one, to help the audience get a grasp about what reward systems are in the hope that they may find it useful for leading their companies, could you give us examples or tell us stories about both the use and the abuse of rewards? I'm sure I'd be happy to. Um, rewards are often formal. Uh, financial rewards are the ones that are most commonly associated with the term, but really some of the most important rewards and most powerful are the non-financial rewards. And especially in early stages where cash is desperately needed to grow businesses, um, it's dependent on it. even the ones that will eventually be financial, things like deferred compensation, things like stock options, they're financial, but they don't kick in right away. So even when you're going to depend on those in the interim, and for every organization, there are periods of time when money is scarce or is used for other purposes. So the idea of providing feedback, which is often uh, considered almost a punishment because in a way, negative feedback helps more than positive, but it has to be done in the right way. And it can easily make people defensive. But, so people don't think of that, but it, it, it's an honor. It's a way of being recognized that people know you, are watching you, want you to do better. And um, positive feedback, of course, can be a very strong reward. And then responsibility, being given um, access to information that was previously privileged, or promotions are obviously another form of recognition. They often, again, are accompanied by um, more money. So it has. it's not that the non-financials never have financial implications, but in fact, their main use is to provide recognition, a sense of accomplishment, and, and those are very powerful ones. Um, an example, um, some of them, um, some of them are very important at the time, but they have no, they're one shots. Like when a window office opens up and then you'll have many people vying for it. And it's not something you can reproduce and you can't give it to more than one. So people often um, cop out and they start using, um, instead of measuring performance, which hopefully is how rewards are distributed, they would now make it seniority is often a determinant, for example, of a number of rewards, including who gets the parking close to the building and who gets the corner office and things like that. So they're not bad rewards, but you said examples of good ones. Um, 
here's a one just it's a classic it's just it's it's a you have you have competitive forces whether they're people in divisions or you have um brother and sister and you have a rivalries and they're always fussing over everything and an excellent reward where the the parent brings home a very nice cake and has a knife and says johnny you're going to cut the cake and sally you're going to get the first piece you're going to cut it in two pieces and they're no less competitive than they were before but the way the reward was structured now you're going to find johnny cuts the cake with surgical precision he's panicked that if one side is bigger love than the other his sister's going to get the bigger piece so again sometimes it's not changing people's basic nature but it's the way rewards are it's called contingent um, some rewards are always going to be based on membership you belong to the organization we have a cafeteria or we have a nurse if you have a problem or you have parking um those are not they can be discriminated a lot of are just available if you need them and that's fine but they don't encourage performance you get what you reward and they're not rewarding performance other rewards are based on seniority so it's not just being a member but it asks the question how long have you done it how long have you done that job and then the reward is triggered by how usually more seniority equals the better office even even more pay though and that's okay also but there has to be a lot left over for the third way basis for distribution and that is performance okay. and in many cases um it isn't in many cases if you tell me your title or how long you've been there i can pick everything from the size of your office to the size of your paycheck and I haven't even found out if you're a good performer. Now, rewards can be um, delayed. So you might say, well, your title determines your pay, but performance determines your title. We don't promote other than qualified people. So it's still indirect, and you might want to have short-term thank yous or other ways of, because timeliness is another characteristic of a good reward. One has to be available. So developing firms, startups can't use money a lot because it's not always available. And then um, the idea of timeliness, some rewards, like in Wall Street, where I, I worked with Goldman, um, you will give rewards, but you you need to add up how well you did before you know how to distribute rewards among the senior people and the junior people. So the rewards can't be timely because you can't commit before you know how much you have and sometimes that waits. And then you have... Uh, but performance contingency should be one of the factors. I'm not saying the only one, but often it's almost irrelevant. I, 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 teaching where seniority determines most everything. Um, but there are examples of very good rewards as well. Um, can I describe one or do you want to ask another question? Um, I have a question. You said it, it sounds to me that among seniority, among membership, and performance performance should be the most important criteria it should be important i mean some some societies are built around seniority the the prestige you get uh, just by being older in places like japan uh, in some asian countries but some here, here too um that's that's pretty important and and it's not bad that rewards would be based on that but again, if the if if your seniority is governed by how good a job you do, mm -hmm. or at least your your position in that higher table is based on performance, 
then a lot of things can be not based on performance, but in a way they are, they're indirectly so. So mm-hmm. performance would get you to be a, a senior executive in GE or at Goldman. Once there, a number of things came automatically, but they you wouldn't have been access to these unless you were a good performer. So right. it, it works that way. And rewarding performance should be timely because people need that immediacy, you know, rather than delayed. But also, uh, it needs to be transparent, right? In- the visibility is another characteristic of a good reward. Transparency is a good word to use for it. Uh, if you can give people a secret, and they do it sometimes because they know they're going to have forty people angry if they if they find out. But the most you've either rewarded zero people because he thought he should have gotten more, or you're rewarding one person who's happy. But since other people know, that's a very expensive way to do it. So. Ideally, it should be transparent or visible. And that, that a character of a good reward, that puts pressure on your measurement system, which is why I said rewards have to be the third thing. Because when they found out Ernie got a big raise or a salary increase um, or, or a, a promotion, um, that's okay. But but if they look at Ernie as a, a mediocre performance who just you know played up to the boss, that is a negative reinforcement for everybody else. So again, we didn't, you alluded to it, but the, rewards have to be the third thing you do. Measurement has to be the second thing you do. Otherwise, you can't reward high performance if you really don't know who they are. Right. And in turn, has to be based on a clear definition of what it is people are supposed to be doing and operationalizing it. That is, what behaviors do we look at? What numbers do we see? Some are, you know, a return on investment. Very few people are going to be able to be singly determining of that. So you have to have all kinds of sub-goals and some measurements that will apply at the level so everyone is connected and used properly. It's motivational. Mm-hmm. And then when the rewards come, uh, everybody would like to get them, but at least they know, at least they know in my boss's eyes, uh, I was not in a high-performance category. You may resent it, but now you have a course of action. Now you have a meeting with your boss and you say, let me know, I'm not saying good or bad, but let me know what I need to do better so I will be in that that cadre next time. So that's why your rewards depend on measurement. Measurement depends on goals that have been operationalized and objectives that are are made tangible so people know what it is they work on. Right. But first and foremost, you got to know what goals, what the purpose of setting up a reward system is. Then you can figure out, you define that goal and purpose, and then you uh, figure out is this measurable is it transparent is it timely and uh, and then you implement the rewards and yeah. and, and the measurement right and we, we had an exercise that we had in g and also at goldman and i'm sure many others use it which was called the bullseye exercise which started by saying we don't even look at rewards what is it we're trying to do and this can be at the company level for senior executives, and it could be one department or one branch or one, one region or one person's job even. And that's what you say. And then the, the exercise is to say, um, it's, it's, it's backward looking. You say, it's 12 months from today and we're celebrating and you're enjoying a raise, you're enjoying more responsibility. Uh, we're all excited, we're all happy. Um, what are we Doing what? What has occurred during that twelve months that led to this? And and doing is a key word. It's not wrong to say, "Oh, our return on investment way up, our return on sales is good, our operating margin has improved, profits are up." 
but you, you don't, it's too broad. You can't, I want more money. Heaven knows what they would do. You say, we're looking back 12 months ago. What is it we did in these 12 months that have led to this change? And if it's negative, it's more of an autopsy. So it's not as much fun, but it's the same question. What did we do that we have to stop doing? Or what did we fail to do that we've got to start? And then the bullseye says, that's how it starts. Put down the thing. What is it? And if you set goals going forward, what do we want to do? 12 months from now, looking back on today, if we do our jobs, what will we say? What has? What are we doing more of? What are we doing less of? What have we started doing? What have we stopped doing? Very simple. The mailman, the guy in the Xerox room, everybody can follow it up to the senior executives. Define performance. and then. It, but usually it'll say, well, uh, we want more teamwork. We want more passion. We want more. And that, in the bullseye, the, that's the middle circle. It's not bad. You're on the way to what you need. But there's always a follow-up question. Um, imagine Division 5 has teamwork. Division 6 does not. What are the what is five doing that six isn't doing? Or what is six doing that five isn't doing? And that and that's so those are the things. Can we agree if we do more of those, we'll have that? So it's always that's that's hitting the bullseye means describe the behaviors. And if you do that, you'll find even the things that people don't think can be rewarded. Oh, you know, we need more passion. Um you you, you can reward anything, but you see. Those people are passionate. We're 12 months from now, we're more passionate. What would a person see? What are we doing differently? And what numbers will reflect that? And if you have that, anything you can behaviorally describe, you can measure. And anything you measure, you can reward. So I had a, a person actually said to me, I, I, the old workforce, we had more passion. The senior executive is mourning the passing of the culture. I said, it's not gone forever. What, what did these people do that... These people today are not doing. While they shared information, they would come to me. So, I mean, and sometimes they get the middle circle, you know, and it's still not there. You say, what, what's the action? What they get them. And once you have that, once you've hit the bullseye, and you can, you also can disagree. If people say, I want more team building, who's going to say, no, I want less team building. I want high, better teamwork. But often it means different things to different people. And if you don't hit the bullseye, you know, let's all go out and have more passion. And people... Ernie, what are you doing? Well, you remember you said you that isn't it. Well, it is to Ernie. <laughs> so you behave with it. Nobody can argue. And then once you're there, you can always measure. So once this, when I was working with him as CEO, and once he said, here's what I miss in the actions of the people that used to work here compared to today's workforce. Now we know what to measure. Now we know what to teach. Now we know what to reward. All the, all the HR systems kick in. But as long as you say this, so you know, we're going to be more trusting. We're going to be, you can't go anywhere with those things. So here's my question. Uh, before I ask that question, which is how can you measure passion versus trust? You said trust is hard to measure, but passion is measurable. So I, I will deal with that question later. But before that, I want to explain what both eyes in your uh, uh, design. So in the center is behavior, is what behavior, what action can be changed, can be rewarded. And the outer rim is, what's the outer rim? When you go from the center behavior outwards, is that the, 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 the plans, performance, and motivations, and then the, 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 
you go another ring to the edge. That's the corporate mission, corporate goals, and uh, and strategies. Did I describe it correctly? You did. And the answer is all of the above. Many times, once we taught the bullseye exercise, it just it's so easy. You're not paying expensive consultants. You're not interrupting. You're not. You just sometimes. We're, we're talking past each other in a meeting. It could be a division heads, or it could be first-line supervisors, or it could be one team. And somebody say, bullseye drill. I mean, he's calling for it. You can do it in the lunch hour, bullseye drill. Okay, what are we talking about here? So if we want to use the word passion, um, in this case, it was a CEO. So the way I addressed that, I said, why do you say these people don't have passion today? And then he starts. He doesn't know about bullseyes. He doesn't need to. Well, he says, you know, we didn't even have a clock to punch. But these people, they stayed. We would went. We would we would we didn't want to leave until something was done. We worked. So he's saying, so basically, what do you see today? Today at five to four, they're watching the clock ready to leave if they leave at four o'clock. So he's just so he doesn't about bullseye, but now he's okay. So you, you know, you can fake it if you say, Oh, you're gonna get rewards if you stay till four, they'll start staying till four. But he said they we didn't think about that. So in the beginning, you maybe have to uh, teach the behaviors, and it doesn't mean they have the right attitude, but in the end, it doesn't matter. If people behave, like the person who said he wanted teamwork, um, I'm going to use that as an example, if I can. Um, Welch was, you know, we had a wonderful teamwork within divisions and within departments and within the chief businesses, but across businesses, they were rivals. And if somebody needed a very good electrical engineer, uh, maybe appliances needs one for what they're doing, and power system has one, they would never give him up because I, this is my guy. And if I give him up, I have a vacancy and I have to worry about it. So a lot of things happen. And, and Welsh, Welsh always said um, a, a conglomerate or a holding company gets 15 to 18 times earnings in a stock evaluation. We get 28. And yet we're in every business, every SIC, every country in the world, and we we are given the price multiple of, of a, an integrated corporation. And that's, he says, it's amazing. No one no one else is like that, the other conglomerates. So he said, we, that's what we have to do. So for example, um, what, what we had these meetings. I was part of the, 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 group of, the corporate executive council. We met every quarter. And he used, when Welch came in, they met in the first week of the new quarter. And they did a look at, well, the th Third quarter of the books, and I win. What do we do? They kind of do an autopsy of the quarter, or they do an analysis. And so it was a bad. Welch said, um, "We're not doing that anymore." He says, "I don't want to do an autopsy of last quarter. I want to fix it." So he created the first week of the third month of every quarter. You know, you report your earnings per quarter. The first uh, week of the third month of every quarter, we met, and he had two questions. Question one: Who's in trouble? So see, now we didn't use the word teamwork. But we needed it. But something. But who's in trouble? So, uh, so uh, one example. So the power system guy says, you know, uh, economies are tight. People are not investing in capital equipment. We're just the power systems with a big business. We're we're hurting. We're really having trouble closing sales, and we still got a month, but we can't. We can't. And the second, and there were others. But I'll stay with one example. And then the second uh, question was, who can help? Right? Who's in trouble? Who can help? Now this was different. We consolidated because we have to report corporate earnings, but lighting didn't, I wouldn't say they didn't care. That's not that they're mean, but they're not going to 
worry about power systems problems. They're certainly not going to give their good people to another. So who, who can help? So um, I, uh, here's an example. GE Capital, which is another business that's doing well, they said, well, what, they, what's, the, what's why is this problem? Why are sales you know, lower than expected? Money is tight and people are having trouble borrowing. The interest rates are high and power system, you don't, you buy a giant turbine, it's a lot of money. So GE Capital, which has a lot of money, they said, we can help. Now, uh, and they said, we'll, we're going to give you um, funding rates. You can offer your people rates that are way lower than the other competitors are doing. And it helped sales. And, and Gary went and ran capital at that time. And he knew that when it came time to review, no one was going to help him. If he didn't solve his problem, he's now given below market rates. No one's going to forgive him if his numbers are down. So it's it's teamwork. He, he knows I'm helping. One more example. We had, a, they're opening up a new uh, lighting plant in Norway or someplace. And they need a particular kind of engineer and they can't find it in the local market. That's like, meanwhile, in appliances, they got a guy who's perfect. Now, old GE, I need that guy. I'm not going to, who can help? So the guy gets up and he says, I've got a guy. He doesn't do it happily. He's sick. He's, he knows he's going to have to find a replacement. They need him more than more. The opportunity in lighting is better than he can use it in appliances. Those are examples. So look what you're doing. You, you didn't have to use the word teamwork, but you institutionalize systems and, and, and and the guy in the place, you know, if he misses his numbers, well, well, you know, he gave a guy like it's not going to help him at all. But down deep, Welch is watching. These are team players. So I'm saying I, these are different examples because I didn't stick around. I was visiting. I tried to help the guy who has told me he missed his passion. I wasn't. No, he wasn't. But that's what you do. You set up things. And and um, oh, and another one when power system NBC stepped up. This was the year 2000. And what made it special was the Olympics are in Australia that year. And it's uh, Sydney Harbor, Darling Harbor, all the, it's beautiful there. It's great. The weather's good. It's December. So, um, so Gene Capital has gotten exclusive for all the Olympics. And they're going to take their top executives and their biggest customers and they rent yachts. And these guys are going to live good. And they're going to go between Darling Harbor and Sydney Harbor and all the other sites and see the different events. And 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 NBC's using it for NBC's clients, but now they hit Bob Wright ran NBC, and he said, um, "All right, we can help." And he said, "We, we have we're going to have a lot of spots open and power systems. You can invite your best customers, and they'll come on these yachts." So we have the NBC celebrity, the cast of Friends is coming, and all this stuff. So um, and and power systems a grungy business; they don't have any glamour. So now they're offering to these people, hey, you know, we got spots come on the yacht, we'll enjoy the Olympics. So we got the cast of Friends and the cast of the West Wing is going to be there. And they, they sold it. I mean, it's uh, that's the kind of things. I mean, it, it was a different culture. And the whole thing, I use the word teamwork, but we had a number of objectives and I could give you the same thing. And one last thing, because I think it may be useful, um, friction point. Uh, lighting wants to get into aircraft engines. Of course, the uh, Boeing and Lockheed, the big companies, are buying their lighting products from Honeywell or somebody else. But they're buying engines from GE. Now, geez, they're servicing it. they got great machines, great engines, great. But now, um, who's in trouble? So uh, the lighting people are losing big market. And who can help? Well, who else looks at the guy from engines? The guy from engines has got a lot of good contacts inside of 
these companies because Lockheed and Boeing are buying our engines. So they say, um, so can, can, and sometimes they're not that noble. So Welch will say, it seems to me, engines guy, can't you help them? Don't you have contacts in lighting? So now you're stuck. You can't say no. So um, he said, okay, so the lighting people, uh, the engines people are not mean, but they have a special relationship with uh, Lockheed and the Boeing, and it's a big deal, and they're big shots because they bring in a lot of money. And if I introduce the lighting people to your hot top people, two things that might happen, and they're both bad. One is they're not going to like him. Now they get mad at the engines guys. You're bringing these dummies in here. We're supposed to, to you know, help. The other thing the engines people are afraid of, they will like him. And that's great, except that means I don't own the customer anymore. Now these guys, they don't need me to get into seat. So it's everything like me. Either way, it's not good for engines. But now they got to do it. Go in and they want to have revenue sharing. And the old competitors comes out. Um, engines want to get 20% because they're letting lighting people in 20% of the, of the business, a, a royalty. The engines people want 20. The lighting people don't want to give up. They want to give up. Uh, the engine people want to give up 10 only. Lighting people want to give up only 20. So one wants 90, the other wants 20. It goes all the way to wealth. I'm, I was in the office when they met. I would sometimes just be around. And so what happened was they say, here's why we should get 20. Here's why we should get 90. And Welch said four sentences. He said, here's what we're going to do. Engines, you get 90. Lighting, you get 20. Get out of my office. <laughs> four sentences. And and if you 90 and 20, that's more than 100. And Jack said, I'm not giving 110 of the sales. I'm giving 110 of the royalty for the sales. It's small. And if I get these guys working together, it's huge. So... And, but those that's examples of how you you change the culture of the world's largest corporation. We had a third of a million full-time employees, not counting contractors and part-time and interns. We were in every country. And and I'll I'll stop. But if you want, um, I could show other examples of how the businesses, even ones that have nothing in common, work together. So it started with we need teamwork. And then it became not permitting others to fail. Not enjoy watching others fail. That was because not permitting. You can't let power systems fail. You can help, right? Give up part of your ships and let them run around Sydney Harbor with you. <laughs> and and this is the world's one of the world's largest companies. So you can do it. And you can do it with this one guy and his team sitting in Texas where I met him. So to summarize what you said, they need to create a culture of teamwork. They need to create a culture of not letting anybody else fail. Even though I value hoarding my top engineers because if my top engineers are sent to the other department i have to look for a replacement exactly. so the leader the leadership play the role of rewarding collaboration rewarding teamwork and that uh paid off yeah remember they defined it first they came up with the definition and then we saw the measurement but in the end you still want to see the payoff but you know, in the early days, you can't look for the payoff. But yes, you said it exactly right. And and it's not one. And we had some failures. No one's saying you know you do this quickly. But it was amazing. A, a company of rivals, which had built their business by comp competition within, and they're they're helping each other. It's not because happy talk and you know, the fairy dust. It's not. It's just you create systems that encourage it. You have top management. All the classic things were done, and and it, and it it was amazing. And there there were. 
gambled with people didn't and so on. But I mean, it was uh, it became a culture of teamwork. And rewards were the third thing you did. You had to you had to define it. You had to create the behaviors. You operationalized it. Then you say, how would we measure it? And um, I gave you examples at the top where you could see it because key people are moving. But you build measurements to see if people are helping each other. And then you get the payoff. Yes. So if I'm the one who give up my top engineer to the other department, and then the the whole company succeeded. What was my payoff? What was my reward? In the short run, you have the chore, the the the, the punishment, the punishment of finding replacements, working without this key person. In the medium run, you will have your numbers will be looked at, and if you fail, you're still going to be punished for failing, or whatever happens, you won't be rewarded. But you do know that at the top, people are supportive and are looking. And in this case, you had a CEO. I mean, I could tell you stories. He, he's, he was amazing. He knew what was going on. We had people coming from Asia, guys coming in from, uh, um, I don't know, China. And he's running a second shift. And, and Jack said, is there any still out? <laughs> How does Jack notice a guy who's sick on the second shift in China? So, I mean, it helps when you have that. So, in, in, in GE, you had enough, but when you move Kroger, we, we help, we build measurements. You could tell, and you could even track, and, and even though we never forgave a person for missing his numbers, that was a sin, he missed his numbers, but we knew that we had upset lighting by making them give somebody up, or we had upset an NBC, by they could have stole more to their own customers, they were letting power systems use it for their customers. So, in the end, it didn't go unrecognized, and and you do need that. If you mindlessly just look at numbers, you'll never get teamwork because people know they're going to be punished. When you punish something, you get less of it. And and if you if you punish passion, you would you know stay, if if you have to show passion by staying till ten o'clock every night, you're punishing it. You're not going to get it. But we were able to find that guy found ways. He he went back to the old days. Why do you think people had passion? He said, "Here's the things that showed me." I said, what are you seeing now? I'm not seeing that. So, well, good. You've got something. I didn't stay with them all, but I, you, you've got something to work on. So it's exactly what you say. And so nothing protects them, but it's but but it's worse if you don't do it now. I mean, you you know, it teamwork may not automatically pay off, but hoarding talent. I mean, we know you got a top engineer. When this guy's saying what he needs in um appliances, the lighting, we know that he's describing the key guy in lighting. <laughs> So you get rewarded in a, in a short in a short run. You get rewarded for behaviors. In the end, you still have to have results. It's called lead indicators, right? You can't know when we started Six Sigma, we couldn't know we were going to have zero defects. So we had to measure activities. We in the short run, how many projects did we launch? Are they what stage? Analyze, improve, control. How many black belts do we have? What color? We have black belt. You 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 know that's not performance. But it leads to it. And in the short run, you you got to measure means because you don't have outcomes yet. But you never kid yourself. You don't let people just look, I'm adding all these belts. At some point, you, you, not too long, you turn your attention to what's the what's the results. Right. But in the short run, you you uh, you can't reward results. You reward you reward performance, but it's not results. And you can reward activities before you reward performance. In the beginning, you want to see motion. You want to see doing things. But you never kid yourself that that's the goal, because otherwise people just pretend to do it and they'll never get good at things. Right. So here's my question about reward. Uh, you mentioned just now 
the relationship between activities and performance and results. Well, as uh, my next question is actually, I believe it's sequential, okay? Activities leads is part of performance, but it may not be. Like you said, the, the, you know, you're, you're all focused on getting your belt for the Six Sigma, but what does it lead to? Is it enhancing the performance? It may, it may not, right? The, the performance will, the correct performance, the rewarded performance, the measurable performance should be all aligned with the results you desire. Yeah. And that's, a, but you go back to that bullseye drill, you start by saying it's 12 months from now, what are we doing differently? And if they say, well, have more passion and more teamwork, excuse me, that's the middle circle. That's an attitude. That's not a behavior. What will they do differently? What do passionate people do that people have passion? What do people who should what does it look like? What do they do? So you move from the attitude. You really can't measure what's in people's minds. You don't want to try. You move to, you watch them. You watch the action. You watch the guy get up in the meeting, give up his best engineer because they got a great opportunity in another division. Or, or Bob Wright gives up his boats because he needs power assistance or some more stuff. But that's good. In the short time, you pay for that because that's what you need. But you don't stop. You know, people can look, they all busy, they shuffle papers. That works for a month. It doesn't work for three months. Gee, you, you don't get through shuffling papers and looking busy. He has meetings. He's always on the phone. What's the result? In the beginning, the result, so I mean, as a result, lighting begins to sell products into uh, Boeing and Lockheed. And even that's not, that's, that's, in the end, that's fine. But if they have to introduce, in the beginning, as you know, you may offer lower prices to track business, you run a sale. But in the end, we still look at the results are really the performance is what's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. So uh, my, ne my next question is, how do the principles of rewarding performance apply to small, mid-size and growth companies? Any differently from its implementation at large corporations? The principles are the same. The people are the same. It plays out differently. Uh, we already said that startups of any size and small businesses, often um, cash is the key thing that make or break them. And so uh, financial rewards are deferred. You can still offer options, but you have to believe the stock price is going to go up, or if it's a private company, there's no stock, but you can do deferred compensation. And so that's one thing that the small companies you have access to different rewards, but they still do it in the same manner. And um, the other thing is you won't have the same, you know, I mean, they might be small and yet dispersed, but normally you have closer contact. You can really do more by looking kinds of things. That's one thing, The the uh, back to the example I gave, when the guy said people used to come stay late, um, he he didn't know, but it turned out a lot in his, they didn't have a lot of businesses. He wasn't that big, but he had some offices and branches. People were really looking passionate by his definition, but he was in the home office where they didn't do it so much. So that's the point. You, it's, you don't change your principles, but it plays out very differently. Small meaning one location. You don't need as much um, looking at numbers if you can feel people and see and interact with them. So a lot of the how you get there changes, but you still have to go from activities to behaviors and operationalize. And then once you have behaviors, you can always measure. Once you measure, you start connecting up the rewards. Operationalize is what I want to focus on. Uh, 
But before you are going to explain, give some examples of operationalization, I have two lingering questions from previous uh, answers you gave. One is the measurement of passion and measurement of trust. Uh, one said you it can be measured because when people show passion, their behaviors change and or they use or reversely you can use behaviors to induce more passionate commitment uh trust is the result of something it seems to me okay uh so that's one thing i want you to clarify uh the other is about the rewards you know corner office parking lot but there are other non-financial non-monetary rewards such as participation in decision making recognition what other non-monetary words can be used other than what I just said? So first is your uh, explanation about passion and trust, and the other is non-monetary rewards. Well, with respect to the, the passion and trust issue, um, in the end, it doesn't matter, I mean, if people are passionate or not. It may if you're facing, your customer facing people, customers can directly benefit you can benefit if customers see that people i'm not just selling a product because i get commission this is a great but you can tell if people mean what they say they recommend you go to their daughter's school and they talk about it you can just so it it it, it works in that sense so you can look at the passion it's still not a substitute you have people who are passionate but they still you know um i have my housekeeper's not there i'm divorced i have a kid he comes home from school i gotta be the way to get home um so this idea of passion is disconnected. He says, well, the person's leaving, you know, she's not passionate, he's not passionate. So I'm saying you still have to work it out, but you're, you're right in what you say, those things, and it can lead to trust. And trust is also very important as a, a, a in general for a characteristic of any organization because rewards are often disconnected. Again, one of the other characteristics we need to do on is timeliness. Um, financial Wall Street firms like Goldman, they may be into January before they know they close out the books for the year. There's a lot of, some of the big power systems ones, the machine are delayed, but things come in. And, so the point is, you can't do end of year stuff. You really can, you, you, yet you don't want to, you know, you can't do a Christmas bonus or whatever the holiday is in a different culture um, if you don't yet know who you're rewarding. So you have to build, then the trust comes in because you say, say, there, there are reasons why they can't do this thing now, but I know that they're watching me. I know that they, they're going to take care of me because they know I'm a good performer. So if you build that in, then you can um, create um, a, a, a patience and people will wait and it doesn't have to be connected as clearly. But over time, if you see the, the kid, you know, he apple polishes, he just kind of fakes it and he's getting these rewards. Uh, it, it just, it kills the culture if you watch that happening. So you have you may have to wait to delay rewarding the high performance, but you better not be rewarding the political types who suck up to the boss and people don't respect them. Um, that would then that then I'll have any answer for it. That's just bad leadership, and bad leadership will sink a business, which is why we spent so much time. Yes. Um, the other thing that I'm trying again the, the point about what you said that the sequence is always that you've got to decide what you want, and and usually you don't get it early. So you have to say what leads to what you want. You want passion. What leads to what do you what what can we and what can we manipulate to cause that to happen? I'm using that because it's such a tough one. People think that's 
that's a hard. Most things are easy. Most you don't want passion. You want return on investment. You want lower, higher quality. You know, you want more. Uh, anyway, you, you, the, the, the systems you use will make or break that. You know, the, you had a company that wanted to improve uh, customer service, so they decided to count the number of times the phone rang before it was picked up, and um, people would be swamped, and they would, and, and, and if you didn't pick it up, it didn't count. So they were getting rewarded for not answering the phone. If they knew they couldn't get to it quickly, they would just let it ring, because they get it on the fourth ring. And it was like their own phone they could handle, but with a trust environment and cooperation, uh, they would go in somebody else's phone and they would take care of it. So the, the object was keep the customer from waiting. They put in a system so dysfunctional, it began rewarding not answering your phone if you can't pick it up quickly. But things like that. These crazy things will develop, if, but it's not the right way. What do we want? The behaviors. You don't want behavior. Let it ring. So if you start there, you won't get down these crazy blind alleys. Right. So another question, among defining, measuring, and rewarding performances, what do you find to be the most challenging for corporate leadership and management in your experience? So that's probably in, related to the bullseye wheel. That's a good question. They might not answer it this way, but I know I'm right. Um, definition, but... The first task, people aren't disciplined to go hit behaviors. So it's easy for him to say passion is somebody else. I want trust. And G could say teamwork. So definition itself is easy. But operationalization, the second half, that, that's in the trial. If you think of the real target, the middle circle is attitudes and behaviors. So that then nobody finds that hard. You say, well, what does a passionate person do? They, they, in their heads, there must be something. They don't say color of necktie because they don't have in their head that it makes any difference. That guy, he knew he he knew what he wanted. He knew he, he, there was something, but he but the, initially he couldn't put it in words. So that's why you can't measure passion. You can't measure it. You can't, of course not, because you haven't described it behaviorally. But you must be thinking of something. If nobody acted different, why would you care if they have passion or not? You don't care if they've had breakfast or not, unless you find they can't work because they're <laughs> running to the cafeteria in the middle of the morning. So that's the thing. It's the operationalization. Because once you get behavioral, it's easy to measure. You can film it. You can tape record it. You can ask other people if they see them doing it. You can observe things yourself. You can look at their... So everything gets easy if you can operationalize. And once you've measured something, you, you may have not much funds. You may have to use non-financial rewards. But the key is knowing who the right ones are to reward. You can reward five high performers. And if you also reward a, a person nobody respects who just kisses up to the boss, you get nothing. So you got to be able to reward, but once you've measured, it's it's not hard. I mean, resources may not be there, but some people think well, was equal money. If you don't pay people, eventually they don't stay. But in the short run, there are more things more important than money, and even money is often used for another purpose. You can often find, I mean, if they needed to pay the mortgage, you can't help them a lot except you know loan have something. But if they want uh, prestige, they want pride, they want to be something in the neighborhood. You can give them things, be it in terms of titles, in terms of the size of office, who gets chosen for special assignments. That was a big one in GE. We, we had, uh, oh, I mean, uh, in Goldman especially, you had U.S. senators came in, uh, uh, premiers, prime ministers of other countries came in, uh, and and you got to just spend a little time with them, do briefing. It was kind of an honor. Nobody gave you more money, but it was amazing. You really looked forward to that. And so how do you choose people like that? 
And so often, these things didn't happen often, but to be in the pool of people, they, it, it showed such respect for you. So, I mean, those are the things you can do, responsibility, uh, even opportunities to present. Uh, again, people would rather have root canal than go there to the committee, but down deep, they know this is this is good. I, I should do this. And if you're good at it, there's nothing better than say, I I had a briefing the executive committee today and, and it went well. So I think that that's why rewards are not hard, but you got to stop thinking rewards equal money. And and something now, um, here's an example. I don't think I put it in the book, but it's real quick. Um, you go to a meeting, scenario one, you go to a meeting and um, you give a report and the boss is the senior division head says, good, thank you, very good, well, good work. Or here's two, the same thing. You go to the meeting, you present, you come back in your office. The head of the division comes in, he puts his head in your office and says, I just want you to know that really helped me out there. That was a great presentation. It really focused the conversation. Same comment, same guy, but instead of saying thank you at the meeting, he comes in and says, what power that is. You haven't spent any money on it. Just it, It's personal and it's, it's somewhat meaningful. Now, he may want other people to know, and so he may let people know, I, I thought Ernie did a great job. But I mean, just that difference. The same exact person, the same way. So thank you, good presentation. Just stick your hands. That was really good. That helped me. Walk out. Yes. So, so you don't, don't you can never use the excuse, oh, we don't have money, we can't. You can, you can. In the end, you got to pay people so they can feed their family. But you're right. What job do you have? Ability to report, when you present, more responsibility, um, being involved in certain kind of meetings. There's a lot of things you can do that make people feel wanted and, and powerful. Yes. Now, operationalize. That's the word. Uh, it sounds very interesting to me. And you have experience and you have some unique approaches to operationalize reward systems. So could you give us some examples to explain what does that mean, operationalization? I can. I can give you more examples, but I think I mean it as a synonym, really, when I said you have to hit the bullseye. Again, that bullseye exercise is the one you start with. And the middle is actions and behaviors. That's what it's called. And that's really the operationalization. Uh, if you say, I want you to have a um, better relationship with your customers. I, I, I don't know what that means. If I was rude, but I mean, maybe I didn't bargain enough. on. Maybe I bargained too much on pride. I, I know it's a defect. I don't want him to think I'm not good with customers, but so far it's not operationalized. It's just a statement. So then again, sometimes you say, um, it's 12, again, back when it's 12 months from now, um, these people have a much better relationship with customers. They, they're much more sensitive to customer needs. What are they doing that they weren't doing 12 months ago? Mm -hmm. Or you can say, I go to this department and they're really customer sensitive. I'll go there, I don't see it. What do you see that you don't see? What do you see here that you don't see here? Uh, it, it, it's it's key because once they answer, once they hit the bullseye, you can always measure that because something tangible is happening. It might not be quantitative, quantifiable, but he wouldn't say, he says, I want yellow neckties. Why? Now, if you know you go to China, you find you wear different colors at a funeral, color might matter. You know, you can be rude without meaning to be. But I'm saying usually they're, 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 what what matters? So I mean that that's operationalization. You can you can measure it, you can reward it, you can teach it. You go to HR and say, teach people to have more passion. Uh, mm -hmm. But if I say teach them, these are the three things that tell me they need to get 
I can teach that. If I can, I have somebody. Okay. So let's hit the book. Tell me what behaviors you want to change. Right. It was B.F. Skinner. When people say, you don't believe me, he would say, I do believe you. What you do speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. What you do. Everything's possible. Get, what do you want to see them do differently? Differently, right. So let me just imagine an example of what you just said. Like the outcome is that we want more customers be, by improving relationship. Okay, so what behaviors? Bullseye, what behaviors will change that? Well, we used to have like uh, no more than three minutes of answering customer complaints. And and we, the, 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 the passing on, passing the ball to other departments was the practice and that really pissed customers off. And that was bad for our retaining uh, customers. Uh, that now we're gonna change the behavior that we're gonna drill and teach each agent who answered the call that you are going to make sure you do not uh, pass the call to someone else or to the supervisor until you have spent quality minimum how much time and you are going to your goal is to figure out what the complaints are about and solve the problem uh, on your own and whatever that behavior so we'll, we'll focus on that behavior and then we'll lead to the results is that is that a good example it's a good example it get and it's not instead it's a good example period but it might be for example um, you're you're counting the number of rings and the number of phones and how long it takes to take in, in one department. And sometimes what happens is um, a real life example. Um, last week, I found out that um, um, I, I still get um, some insurance through the Goldman system and they had changed the plan administrator. So it's the same company. But when you call the company, they can't answer the question because they're not administering the policy. And I knew that I didn't know what to do. And I just I, I, I go to have a um, my, my son, like for a medical treatment, they don't take the card. They said, no, it expired December 31. Well, I said, oh, I know what happened. We still have coverage, but it's a different administrator. So I call um, G uh, Goldman, and um, they say, no, well, we, they're correct. We don't cover that anymore. We've, we still, you're still covered. You're covered now to a different company. Now, that could be the end of the transaction. It's informative. But it leaves me hanging. But what the Goldman person says is, listen, um, I, I know the number there. Let, hang on. Uh, let me stay on the call. Let me transfer and see if we can get this done. So the person at Goldman didn't know because they're not administering. This is a true story. It only happened last week. But the Goldman person knew that I wouldn't know what to do next. So he said, hang on. Let me transfer you. So they got on. And then before turning it over, he said, um, Sally, I'm here with Mr. Kerr. He's one of the people that was covered by Goldman, and now it's being covered by this new company. So um, he's, he's got questions, and um, it's about his son, and, and he should be transferred as dependent. So I would have might maybe said it, but I'm not sure I could have framed it. So that's a perfect example of customer service. I'm proud to tell it. Now, Goldman did this very well, and they were saying no to me. They couldn't help me, but in a way that didn't leave me hanging, knowing what to do next. Right. So it's more than just make my phone not ring. It's now, if you had a bad, bad system, they would now punish her because she spent 20 minutes on that call or 15 instead of five, but actually it was good customer relations because she ended up getting the customer, in my case, what they needed. So the bottom line is the leadership needs to prioritize what culture they want to set. So in the Jack Welch case, is a, it's teamwork, interdepartmental collaboration, and that's the culture. You'll be looking really good if you play along 
the uh, teamwork track rather than just uh, being selfish. And in Goldman's case is the customer service is priority. We, pro we prioritize customer service. And along that direction that's set by the leadership on top, then they can come up with what specific performances and what behaviors uh, and, and how to operationalize the reward system to, to reward the behaviors that leads to the leadership's priority, either it's teamwork or it's customer service. Correct? Did I summarize yes, it correctly? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, I learned that sometimes the people underneath are the ones that know. In this case, you know, I don't have it, but I could transfer the call. Um, but sometimes it's the ability to have people, people who do a job know how to improve it. In this example, the boss said, okay, we'll do this and do that. But I'm saying a system that's open because a lot of the best changes come from below. Mm -hmm. And it's not even that they have to be rewarded. And I think many, some do, but many, they want to do the right thing, but they don't, the, the way they're doing it now, it's what some high level person told them to do. And it's, so you, that's the, you got to make it safe. It's amazing what your people know that they don't tell you. We had a case where they, we, we finally had workshops where they could come in and um, contribute ideas. And we talked to a guy who ran a copy center where he gave people a two-page report and there was 11 pages of wasted stuff that the copy machine would put out, well, leader code and code. And he would rip that out and give people only the two pages. And when he got, when it was safe, we made events to permit him to do that. And it turned out he could save on his machine $62,500 a year, counting the cost of paper, the cost of hauling the paper away, the cost of ink. Because if you got you got 13 pages if you wanted to, but he was taught give them only the, the content. He would throw the 11 away, give them the two. He did that all, and all the copy machines in G were doing this. It was a, a major saving. So in this case, you created a in, 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 the, in the case I gave you before, management knew what to do. And this this one was obviously rewarded for doing it. In some cases, though, it's amazing what other people can do to help you, whether it's teamwork or passion or cost cutting or efficiency, but you got to permit and, and Sometimes it's a suggested box on the wall is enough. It's better than nothing. I'm not criticizing it, but an environment that permits that. It's amazing what your people know and you don't know. Yes. Because they do it and you don't. And if you just make it safe. Yes. Just make it safe. You don't think you're you're faulting them. Right. Um, so to add Yeah, to add what I previously summarized, leaderships are not know at all. And often they don't know. Okay. So yeah. they got to humbly go down the ladder to the people who are delivering the, the jobs, doing the work, the employees, the lower rank, because they often know way better, okay, than those on the top. So yes. ask them, respect them, and solicit opinions and suggestions for improvement and make it safe for them to say things that are may not be very uh, glamorous or complimentary. So that is before they decide what culture, you know, what behavior to be rewarded. Okay, so have you, here's another question. Have you experienced that after every aspect of reward systems were correctly implemented, starting from defining to operationalizing to measuring and rewarding, you still did not achieve the desired results? Well, that can easily happen. Um 
it's sometimes called the most fundamental equation in psychology. And it says ability times motivation equals performance. And your rewards can do a lot for motivation and esteem and recognition and having the boss pop in your office and tell you this is great. You can do wonderful things to improve motivation, but there still has to be, it depends on the job, but in most jobs, there's a certain amount of expertise or competence that is required. And the, the reason they put a multiplication sign in the formula in psychology, ability times motivation equals performance is because anything times zero is zero. So if you motivate people, I say to you, I'll give you a thousand dollars if you fly around the room. Nobody. Okay, five thousand, ten thousand. They do it for one if they knew how. The more you make the reward attractive, the more frustrated they get that they don't know how to do it or they don't have the tools to do it. So you're right. I mean, and you want motivation. I mean, the higher number, but in, we always say in, in any kind of intervention, any kind of initiative, work the side of the equation that's low. So if motivation is already at ten. You can make it 11, but if a performance is only two, ability is only two, 10 times two is 20, 11 times two is 22. You've only added a little bit to efficiency, but take that same little bit and add it on the bottom. 10 times two is 20, 10 times three is 30, 10 times four is 40. Look how much it pays. So if you know that your people are basically want to do the right thing, it really pays to put some resources into training, give them more expertise to do it. Or if you hire a doctor and a lawyer, you don't expect that to their expertise. Hopefully they have that when they come in, that's their credential. So there's a case where you want to build a competent motivation system. So you're right. It's a good point to remember that you work on rewards and you work on motivation, but that may not be the key here. And, and jobs get specialized. It's, so yeah, it's, it's a great, your response is perfect. Thank you. So in human-centered organizations, where employees increasingly demand work to improve their life. And employers are expected to be servant leaders in creating the environment and work befitting employees' talents. Do you believe a good reward system is always needed as a behavioral and motivational tool? You can build short-term substitutes for it. So I wouldn't say always needed. I mean, I joined the army as well. I, my choices were worse. <laughs> so I joined the army. They didn't give me any sense to join, but I didn't want to be a draft dodger is what they called it in those days. And um, in the short term, the boss says, I really hate to tell you this. I know you're playing an anniversary dinner, but would you mind doing that tomorrow night? We just got a rush order from a customer and I just can't do it without your help. So if you have a good relationship and you don't do that too often, you can you can avoid all the niceties and you say, look, we're all in trouble here. Now, if you say that and the boss goes home at five o'clock every day, uh, it wears thin pretty easily. So it helps if the boss is in there, you know, paying that cost with you. But in general, you're right. Other than that, most people, if you have a good relationship, there are times when there's nothing in it for you this time. All it means is you get angry by your spouse when you come home late. I know that, but I need you here. And that's fine. But but in, you can't live like that. And these people have continued with crisis. And it's, I mean, people will stay if they have to, but now they're staying for the paycheck. And um, A, they're not going to work as hard or as well. And B, they'll leave when they get a better offer. So use it sparingly. So technically, it's not always. But be aware when you're not honoring these principles, um, they're good principles, and you're going to pay a price, but you won't pay it once in a while, especially if they see you sitting there getting dirty with them, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so also, if 
the goal of the company is to be more innovative, to be more creative. They can always use the principles of rewarding innovative, creative behaviors. So rewarding tools are neutral. Uh, they are not like, if I use rewarding system, then I will be disincentivized in other ways or have any side effect. It can be used for whatever the goals and priorities of the organization. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. So last question. I ask everyone in my interview the same question. If you can use less than five words to describe Steve Kerr's personal brand, what would these be? Uh, what does the Steve Kerr brand stands for? Well, through the five words, I can't say much, but I would say always make it safe. Always make it safe for them to do the right thing. Always make it safe for them to tell you what they think. When I do performance appraisals my whole career, I say, when you come in, you must also tell me the one thing that if I did differently would help you do your job better. Make it safe, and they will tell you. That guy in the Xerox thing, we created a thing called Workout, he felt safe enough to say, um, I know how to save $62,500 a year just on my machine. And there's 100 million machines around GE, and it had to do with the paper thing. But he didn't mention it because he, he didn't know. He didn't know. So you make it safe, and you'd be amazed at what people know and how much they'll help you and how much they'll flourish. It. If they, and, and, and that's that's to me. Always, always do your best to make sure it's safe. Well, can I give you one uh, one last example of that, or are we out of time? Please, please, go ahead. Um, in the early days of workout, we had low-level people challenging the practices of high-level people. So we always had that, is it safe, is it safe? So Welch had this he had great models and metaphors. So he said, um, this uh, he said, uh, you have a really old car. It's unreliable. It breaks down all the time. It's terrible. Question. Was it a lemon when you bought it? It was always a bad car, or did it used to be a good car? Answer, who cares? He said, what's the difference? What does it matter? Maybe it was never a good car. Maybe the point is, so he said, we have policies, we have practices, we have procedures, we have rules. Um, are they good? Well, they used to, they might have been great. We're not criticizing you. We had reports. Um, they used to get reports that were very valuable. Now we have a new vendor, a new vendor gives you reports online, and they're up to date. So nobody's reading this. So you don't blame the person putting out the report. You say, stop it. Why? Because we don't need it now. So he said, again, make it safe. Those are examples. He said, stop. If, if you go and say, he said, the worst thing in the world is root cause analysis. Who did this? He said, what does that do for you? You don't care who did it. You don't care why they did it. The car is not working. Sell the car. Maybe, and you'll say, you'll say it was a bad, it, even if it was, if you tell the guy it's his idea and it's a bad idea, he He's going to get defensive. Don't tell him that. Just say it's a card bank. Get out of it. Your policy, your reports, not helpful. Get rid of it. Reports, approvals. Used to be eight people signed off. Maybe it wasn't needed in that thing. I don't care. You need eight people now. What are you doing? Make it safe. And then the people will find ways. Just make it safe. They, right. they underutilize resources. That's the worst problem we have. Ah, that's so insightful. Um, I have a bonus question, okay, uh, for those who still 
are interested in hearing his wisdom, okay? Um, I, I think I'm not the only one who are bothered by the state of our politics and the system that our political system seems to be not working, okay? Uh, one example uh, is that uh, um, the Democrats or the Republicans, they vote <laughs> for the weakest candidate uh, of the other party so they can have a better chance at the general election to win. And all this gerrymandering and the things that created this gridlock in Washington. So uh, there are people, they're very intelligent uh, professors and uh, 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 political uh, consultants who are uh, advising about rank choice voting system, which uh, are implemented for some gubernatorial and mayor elections already. And they would like to see the ranked choice voting system for the primary for presidential elections. And they also recommend term limit for the US Supreme Court justices. So uh, I, I want to hear you, okay? If, since you have worked uh, for Goldman Sachs and uh, GE for so many years. If we view our country as a, as if it's a giant corporation, okay, and from the lens of reward principles, uh, what do you think uh, about the ranked choice voting system and the U.S. Supreme Court justices? Term well, they're they're easy questions to think about because I think the costs and benefits are pretty visible. This is not like trying to choose two distributors of, a, of tungsten or something like that. But the but there are pluses and negatives. The question is, can you can you maximize? I think you can. I think you've got good ideas. Both of those are. But the term limits, for example, um, the danger is people will become less competent mentally, their memories will fade. And, and, and as a Supreme Court justice, for example, knowledge of the law of, of history is so important. If you begin to have blurry memories, you're just going to be less effective. So the trouble is, you know, you have people in their 90s still very good, and you have people in their 70s already shouldn't be given sensitive work. So I think term limits should be um, at the right period. And you can't, I mean, I guess you could make it performance contingent. You, if you had really trustworthy test of competence, like they're always saying they want U.S. president, they wanted Trump to take one, now they want Biden to take these tests of mental fitness and so on. But absent that, you can substitute. You pick a year where probably it's early enough so most people will still be competent when they hit that spot. So for example, said you said, I don't know, 75, you'd get gerontologists know this much more than I do, so on. But you pick some number like that. Now you run the risk that some really um, brilliant people will be asked to leave while they're still brilliant. But in the end, assuming there are brilliant people behind them, I mean, the person's had a long career. It's it's honorable. If it's set as a limit, it's not embarrassing to them. It's just like you have, right now we have people that are two-term limited as governors. And no, it's not about uh, Manchin, for example. He's been very popular in West Virginia. He's going to leave because he has to. So it's turned down. So I think it, it's no offense. And probably even if you lose a really good person, hopefully there's brilliant judges to replace. So I think term limits make sense. The risk you run when they sit there for years and they're muddling up things, especially with the five, four decisions that you tend to get, it could really make a difference. 
So I think it's valuable. Um, I think that you can also do it instead of age, you can do it by number of terms. And um, that can be done as well, you know, in the average, but I think it'd be sharper if you peg it as best you can to a mental acuity, but that's a fine tuning. The one thing I would say though is um, everything gets political and the way they were badgering Ginsburg, for example, the Democrats to step down because um, she was old and, and they wanted, they didn't know who would be president next time it turned out it was Trump, and they wanted to be able to um, rush her, and she wouldn't leave. That was her life. She was still very sharp, but she did die. And sure enough, Trump got the point to the successor. And I think that was um, a big deal. And the same thing. So that's the only thing with term limits. Um, it'll happen automatically. But then now you didn't know when Ginsburg was going to die because she didn't know. So you can still nag them to step down. But, but now, if you know your term's going to end anyway in two years, look how selfish you are. You know, our party has the president now in two years, and it might be somebody else. So I think you will increase the intense pressure on these people to leave uh, it somewhere in that last term anyway. But it doesn't matter that much to me. It's still your unbalanced. Your idea is a good one, because just say that maybe they had three terms of six years, and the fourth term is up to six years. And it could well be that people will get into the tradition of retiring early so that their party, unless the other party's in power, because then it doesn't come in. So, so that's what I think about that. And I think you can manage the negative thing, just as they said. On, on the ranked choice, um, it depends on, it, it's still got pluses and minuses, but what you're preventing is awful. I mean, the worst thing in the world is having these, um, the long delayed runoffs. I mean, long could be 30 days, but it's it's awful what happens to the democratic process during that time. Whereas I think ranked choice usually is it's instant, and right? you don't have to after by the end of the weekend you know who won usually. And these things where it goes like what happened in Georgia. I mean, out of state money comes pouring in. People are um, crossing parties to vote for the other side to get early weak candidates. It, it all kinds of mischief can happen if you have a delay. So ranked choice has more than one advantage, but um, the biggest negative used to be, well, you know, you'll get somebody who people don't really love, but the point is it doesn't prevent the majority winner. I mean, it depends on how you set it up, but you can set it up so it doesn't kick in unless you have somebody who doesn't get 50%. Yes. So by definition, if there's a clear choice, it, it's not interfering with that. It only obtains when you already found out you don't have a clear choice. So in that case, it's not causing it. It's just recognizing the fact that you don't have a clear favorite. Nobody got 50. In that case, it's a, it's a much better remedy, if, especially if it's accelerated revotes, right? I mean, the last place finisher is out, his votes get, you know, that kind of thing. Because I think that the it, it, you still have the problem though with people maybe trying to game the system, but usually the um, choice votes at, at the final level, you don't have that problem. That kind of cross pass they'll vote for their own person. In nomination prices, where you try to rig it so that the other party is putting up a terrible candidate, they're all voting for them. So you got to be careful. But um, I think in a ranked choice that might happen in the first round, but usually um, it's dangerous only if it gets dragged on. And waiting a while for a recount is the worst thing. What you saw in Georgia, I was, people were voting who don't even live in the state, and the billionaires were pouring money into it, and that and the longer it goes, the more bitterness. It's just awful. So right. I think nothing's perfect, but the both termlets and, and fourth choice are better on balance than what Rent. we're doing now. Rent yeah, yeah. See, the rent choice for primary will allow more candidates 
and it's more fair. The process is more fair and can avoid the ills you described earlier, you know? So uh, it's just a matter of getting these things uh, operationalized, <laughs> using your word, operationalized. That's exactly right. That's what it is. And for term limits, I think it's pretty straightforward because uh, the only thing you would get is you get more intense nagging on the part of people in power to get, if they have, get their judge out of this and get the younger one in. So the third term might be shorter, but both parties would do it. It's natural. It's not obscene. It's logical. You could say, you know, I love you, Ruth Ginsburg, but, you know, instead of one more year of you, we can get 18 more years of somebody if you let us vote now, you know, replace them now. And on the thing of ranked choice, again, um, it's plus avoids the biggest minus in the world, which is these delayed second ballots with so much outside money. It's not even the people of Georgia were not even the primary people electing that the runoff senators because it was crazy. So you still should be careful. I still would, I, I know it's state by state and it's not my choice, but I wish states would not permit people in the nominating contest to cross parties because there's so much mischief is going on and you don't have the best of both candidates going forward. You have them sabotaging by putting in the least electable guy or gal and, and putting them in. So you got more work to do if you have ranked choice but you can do it. It's still better than what you have instead. And term limits, um, you just get the one side effect you can't avoid. And it may not be bad. They say, why should you serve your whole six years? You know, resign in the month before our president leaves because the next election, we might not have a choice. So let's get your successor. I, I think it's, so you're getting a calling answer, but these are good ideas. Um, I wish you would uh, get them implemented, <laughs> use your influence. You know, a lot of people. You have more influence than me, but we, you know, in the future, I, I probably will edit this just about the last question about rank choice and uh, term limit. And we can send the video to those who have the power to change. It's it's not going to be easy, but. Well, you've got, I mean, I you know Barry talks about you, you're a very successful program, but I, I think it's true that it may also be some areas where people like me get windy, we, we may drift off into another area that might be um, not what you want, but you but you might often, it may, you can even splice through this. If you have a special interest in this topic, we have you know a couple of speakers as well. And so you're organizing now by session, one person and I assume it goes out. You could even have a partitioning by topic and just kind of edit your tape. So maybe you ask four people. And so if you guys are interested in what some people thought about term limits, I'll splice together, you know, four interviews that weren't consecutive, but they're all timely. So mm -hmm. I, maybe now I'm just saying you're right. You can you can cut it by events. So when you hear one speaker, all thoughts. You can also cut it by thought and have whatever speakers of content are in there. You have a great audience. What I'm told, it's really uh, you did good. I mean, you really are. are you, you've you've impressed people who stay with you, and I think you're you're very incisive in the way you ask the questions, and. Um, I think uh, I appreciate. It. I think you're really good at what you do. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, we uh, went over by twenty minutes, but that's I I I love hearing your insights. And uh, you I'm afraid I went over. <laughs> uh, people will benefit from your gems of wisdom. Uh, thank you again, and we will stay in touch, and we'll talk about more issues at another time. That's fine. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Okay.
Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. So